7 o'clock. The whole world changed. There was a lot of things that happened that night in Craig's favor. To duplicate that night would be impossible. You know, it was life or limb, really. It was kind of the, the decision that had to be made. Welcome to SC Featured. I'm Jen Latta. 26-year-old Craig Cunningham's life has been shaped by hockey. It started when he was a boy growing up in the small hockey town of Trail in British Columbia, Canada. Craig was known for his strong work ethic, always the last off the ice at practice. I would shoot pucks in my driveway every day and you know, maybe had a little bit of an addiction issue to, uh, to hockey as a young kid. I think there was public skating three times a week. We went three times a week. He worked night and day at skating. Even on the living room floor with his skates on, practicing and walking. That's Heather, Craig's mom. She would wake her son at 6 in the morning before school, make him breakfast, and drive him to the rink. Craig's passion for hockey was clear, but the pursuit was hard. Craig's father died in 1996 when Craig was five. His mother raised three sons on a single income. Craig loved his dad. He struggled when his dad passed. And I don't know if that's where he found to go on and determined to play hockey was then. He filled the void with hockey and, I mean, he was determined to make it in hockey. After rising in Canada's elite junior leagues, at 19, Craig got the call he dreamed of. He was drafted by the Boston Bruins in the fourth round of the 2010 NHL entry draft. After three seasons in the minors, Craig was called up to Boston. The following year, in December of 2014, against the Ottawa Senators, Craig took the next step in his dreams. Here comes Cunningham with a shorthanded bid. His drive scores! Craig Cunningham! And Cunningham gets a souvenir for his first in the National Hockey League. You always dream of scoring your first goal. It's not exactly how I wrote up, you know, slap her through the five hole from the blue line pretty much. But uh, it was, uh, yeah, it was a you know, great feeling. It went in. Oh, my gosh, it went in. It was like, holy moly, we were jumping around and screaming and yelling. And remember yelling out, my son scored, my son scored. Craig would play parts of two seasons for the Bruins before joining the Arizona Coyotes in 2015. In the fall of 2016, he was assigned to the team's minor club, the Tucson Roadrunners, and named captain for its inaugural season. Chris Mueller, Craig's teammate and best friend, knew Craig would get another shot at the NHL with the way he was playing. Uh, he was a leader. He, uh, he was the guy who everybody gravitated to from day one. Wood up top, one time, tipped of the way and hit the goalpost again, rebound, they score! Finally punched in at the side of the goal! Cunningham and Perlini were both there at the side of the net, whacking away at it. Cunningham finally got it to go, and the Roadrunners are on the board, it's 2-1. And who scores the first goal in Roadrunners history? It is Craig Cunningham, the guy who led the team in scoring last year. 
The GM of the Roadrunners at the time, Doug Sotart, said Craig was one of those call-up players. He contributed to the Roadrunners in the minors, but if the opportunity presented itself, Craig would be ready to go to the majors. A hard-working, uh, quality guy that gives you everything every shift. And, uh, you know, he got here on his hard work and his talent, um, but hard work outweighed his talent. He got to the National Hockey League because of his his compete level and his work ethic, and it didn't matter how he skated or how he played the game, he was going to, he would, nothing was going to stop him. One month into the season, November 19th, 2016. Just a regular day for Craig, another game day. He had just played the Winnipeg Jets minor league team the night before, and the Roadrunners were facing them again in a back-to-back. -back. Maybe a little tired from playing the night before, but, you know, I play back-to-back -back all the time, and, um, yeah, I... There was nothing, and I felt great. You know, I felt normal. I felt I played well the night before, and uh, I, you know, wanted to kind of relay that again <laughs> the next night. Craig's mom was in town to watch the game. She was in the stands. Seven o'clock. The whole world changed. Heather remembers her son doing his little jump onto the ice, and then skating around the rink a few times. And then lined up for the national anthem, and of course it's your kid, you can't take your eyes off of him, and uh, everything was exactly normal. He left and uh, went over to the bench, and I don't know what he said to the guys, but then took off, went down to the goal goalie, gave the goalie the, the stick on the pads like he always does. Then he made the circle. I watched him. He bent down to pick something up. I didn't know what that was, and the next thing, boom. Craig was on the ice just before the opening face-off. His friend Chris was the center, and he skated to the face-off to take the draw. Chris looked to his right and saw Craig lying on his back. He was very restricted, and he was very uh, tense. So my initial thought was I didn't know what was going on, and then when I saw how tense he was and you know, not responding to any of us, not looking at any of us, he, we knew something serious was going on. And I'm looking, and I'm thinking, what happened? And I'm watching, and nothing's moving. And I could hear a lady in the other section yelling, that young man's seizuring, that young man's seizuring. And I kind of looked over at where the voice was coming from, and I'm like, no, my son doesn't seizure. Like, I had no, did he lose a blade out of his skate? I don't know, but he was laying perfectly on his back. And then that was pandemonium. And people were screaming, and everybody was running. And they're calling for me, and they called for me to come down. And I went running down, because I was keeping my distance, like Craig always taught me, don't be one of those mums. So I wasn't. And I got down to the other end, and I could see now that they were trying to put him on the gurney thing. And they were working, the, the, the firemen and everybody were working, and I knew something terrible, terrible, terrible is happening. It's probably the toughest day of my life, um, and every one of our lives in that locker room. I mean, it was seemed like that day never ended. At 26 years old, Cunningham had suffered sudden cardiac arrest. Trainers and medics responded, as did a group of firefighters who happened to be performing in a pregame ceremonies just a few feet away. 
It was Public Safety Night to honor public safety personnel like Andrew Skaggs, captain of the Tucson Fire Department. We had just completed uh, the ceremonies with our bagpipes. Uh, I was getting ready to put them back in the case when the Zamboni doors opened up and people from the ice started just yelling. My initial thought was, had he been checked and hit his head, uh, somebody take out his legs, did he trip? I mean, anything was going through my mind except cardiac arrest. It, it just, that was not even close to what was happening in my mind. Gary Padilla was a paramedic and firefighter assigned to the game at the Tucson Convention Center. He was the first paramedic to get to Craig on the ice. I saw the trainers looking at him and the patient was laying there motionless, not breathing. His eyes were open, so I immediately checked for a pulse. He had a pulse, he brought a pulse. We started to uh, get his, uh, some of his clothes off, and there's a lot of different uh, levels of clothing on these gentlemen. It's hard to get to them. You've got to go through all these pads. And when we started to check on him some more and then realized that he was not um, breathing and that his pulse had stopped, and CPR was decided to be performed, so we started CPR at that point in time. And as we got him off the ice, it's like, this can't be happy. This guy cannot be in cardiac arrest because he's young, he's healthy. Craig's mother, Heather, made her way down from the stands. Once Craig was brought off the ice, she was just feet away from where paramedics and firefighters were trying to save her son's life. I could tell when they brought him off the ice that he wasn't, I don't think he was there because he, he didn't have his jersey on. And the thing I remember the most was his arms were dragging way, way behind him. As I defibrillated him for the first time, I heard her, I've heard that yell before, you know, like, oh my God, no, this is really, you know, they see that and they realize this is bad. I didn't turn around or acknowledge it. I just stayed focused and we just all kept doing what we needed to do. And there was another fireman had come over and he was trying to talk me through it. And I said to the fireman, he's not here, is he? Like, he's gone. And the fireman said, oh no, we're doing everything we can. We're doing everything we can. And they were continuing to work on him. And I stood back and quite a few people comforting me. And I think I was calm. Like, I, I don't recall that, but I think I was calm. And I remember them working really hard and screaming, like, get the ambulance in. We, we need to get moving. A few firefighters who were at the game to perform in pregame ceremonies kept working on Craig. We're trying to maintain the airway on him. We're making sure he's got the oxygen's flowing to him, that we're bagging him. Uh, we're making sure the compressions are going. Uh, we're stopping and analyzing the rhythm if we need to. You know, other folks are uh, getting an IV line or an easy IO line so that they can deliver medications to try to get his heart starting again. From there, it's we need to get him to the hospital. The ambulance arrived within 10 minutes. CPR continued on the five-minute drive from the arena to St. Mary's Hospital. Scott Fleck, a paramedic from the Tucson Fire Department, helped with the transfer. I was hopeful that the things we were able to do were able to help him survive. I was not optimistic. More in a moment, but first, we'd like to hear from you. 
Whether you're new to the podcast or you've been listening for some time, we want to know how we're doing. If you're listening in Apple Podcasts, leave us a rating and a review. If you like what you hear, make sure you're subscribed so we're easy to find next time. And if you subscribe in the ESPN app, we can send you an alert whenever we have a new episode. Dr. Zane Kelpie, one of the top cardiothoracic surgeons in the world, got an emergency call asking him to rush to the ER on the night of November 19th. Dr. Kelpie is the surgical director of the Heart Transplant and Mechanical Circulatory Support Program at Banner University Medical Center in Tucson. As soon as I got into the car, I started calling up the teams to get everything moving. So halfway there, I get another call from them saying, it's about 60 minutes now, and we've been doing CPR, and his um, lungs are filling up with blood, and his other organs are failing, and we're finding it hard to ventilate, and uh, we are thinking about giving up. I said, you're not. And I said, they won't, and they were brilliant. They never gave up. Craig Cunningham had been receiving CPR for more than 30 minutes when they reached St. Mary's Hospital. I could see so many feet under the curtain, so many feet. could see his hockey equipment laying all over and lots of blood. I didn't know where the blood was coming from. Like I, was, like I didn't know what was happening. And I looked and I just said, I can't look. And I didn't. Rushing into the hospital, Dr. Kelpie saw the hockey team and Craig's mother, Heather, waiting. By this time, it was getting late, and Craig had already coded twice, and they actually had pretty well said, you need to get your family here. It's not looking good at all. He's really, really, really sick, and we're not sure, you know, what we can do. So Dr. George came out and said, we've called for doc- this other doctor. Well, there was a lot of people there, and it was fairly intimidating. Uh, but my, we were, I was only just locked in on her. And you have to just be straight to the point. And you have to be very simple and very clean-hearted in telling them the truth of what could go wrong. And Dr. Kelpie comes in, and he says to me, Are you Heather? Are you Craig's mom? And I said, I am. He said, I'm Zane Kelpie. And I love my job, and I'm really, really, really good at it, and I'm going to save your son. We told her that uh, his heart and lungs, kidneys, were failing, and we needed to support her circulation by getting him onto an artificial heart and lung device, and I would be the one to do it. And I have no more time to talk about it other than asking her for her blessing and tell her that what could go wrong is that we could lose him. And he walked away. There was no oxygen moving in Craig's lungs when Dr. Kelpie first saw him. In fact, his blood was black. By the time Dr. Kelpie arrived at the hospital, Craig had been receiving CPR for 83 minutes. I've never known that ever to happen, but I think the effectiveness of the CPR and the uh, shocking and the uh, got his heart back and and, and the whole 
kind of thing cannot be replicated. The firefighters were amazing. They were there and they did uh, the appropriate CPR. He got shocked. The state of Craig's heart after 83 minutes of CPR was described as mush. Absolute mush. It was not moving. I'd say one of the very uh, the worst few that I've seen. Um, recoverable, it's very hard to say at that point. You try not to make those judgments. A lot of people I work with um, sometimes don't believe the impossible. And it's for me to put that out of my mind and to try to make sure we do our very best to give it the best. Dr. Kelpie is a leader in the use of what is known as an ECMO machine, using it to act as a temporary heart and lung in the hopes of restoring function to both organs for a patient. The machine pumps and oxygenates a patient's blood outside the body, allowing the heart and lungs to rest. I knew that we had, um, we had to decompress the heart, both the left side. Uh, it was a swollen balloon. We had very little time with him knowing that he had blood in his lungs and his organs were still failing. After the first surgery, Dr. Kelpie went to talk to Craig's mom. I said that we have him stable and um, she was really relieved. Uh, stable in the sense that stable for transfer, but he's still very, very sick. And uh, we are going to try and do everything we possibly can to try to help the rest of the organs, including his brain, and we, need to, we don't know what's going on. When he came out attached to that ECMO machine, it was like, oh my gosh, how can anybody survive that, being like that? The machines and all the intravenouses. I actually fainted. I had to get a wheelchair. Using the ECMO device, Kelpie was able to stabilize Craig, but his heart was still grossly enlarged and the blood flow to his legs was reduced. The next day, Kelpie proposed a daring operation, a surgery that had only been done twice before in history, both times by Kelpie himself. I said to her, look, I think his heart needs to be decompressed. And I told her and I said, I really have to tell you that what I'm going to do has only been done twice before. And both times I've recovered the heart. Uh, and I am asking your permission to do this. And he looked at me and he says, I don't think I've ever done it on anybody this young. But I can do it. And I, he said, are you okay with that? And I said, yes, you do whatever you have to do. Dr. Kelpie attempted the decompression surgery about 36 hours after stabilizing Craig. The procedure took an hour and a half. He said to me, he's a little bit more alive than he was earlier this morning. And every day he'd come and he'd do the echoes and everything and he'd say, He's a little bit more alive, he's a little bit more alive, until finally he said, it's working, we've got his heart. Craig survived the surgery, his heart function strengthening, a heart that had been stopped for 83 minutes. A few days later, he regained consciousness.
Um, next thing I remember was you know, waking up and you know looking down and saying, "Holy, sh you know, crap! Was something going on with my leg that you know, I couldn't feel my leg? I said it was not so good." And I got you know 25 different IVs in me, and I'm thinking, "Oh boy, this is definitely not good." And, kind of looking over and seeing my mom and my girlfriend and some family there, and I'm thinking, oh, I'm really in trouble, aren't I? Cunningham was confused and scared and reacted like a hockey player. He got off the ventilator, and when you say mental acuity, you know, I'm talking to a hockey player. And no pun intended, but uh, uh, I was, uh, he was about to deck me. <laughs> You know, I, th I thought he wanted to take a swipe at me, which is fine, because I thought that he's at least moving everything. He was totally frightened. He was like, uh, he was in a foreign environment and just really couldn't figure out what was going on. It was like, oh my gosh, he he's alive. He's he's Craig. He's mad at something. Yeah. Oh, he was mad, and they had to put restraints on him, and that made him madder. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it was terrible, his language. <laughs> Craig says he doesn't remember going after Dr. Kelpie. Probably all the medication, man. I'm not really that aggressive of a person, so I <laughs> don't think it was me. So, yeah, I, was, uh, I didn't realize at the time that he was uh, saving my life. For Andrew Skaggs, the captain of the Tucson Fire Department who was there at the game, he uses one word to describe Craig's survival. Miracle. There was a lot of things that happened that night in Craig's favor. T to duplicate that night would be impossible. Everything that happened that night happened in Craig's favor. And if you took away any one of those things, he's not here to tell about it today. They don't know what happened, why it happened, you know, anything. Really, this kind of a freak accident pretty freak accident in my mind, that's for sure. But about nine days after the surgery, Cunningham woke up and couldn't feel his leg. His foot was black. Due to a lack of circulation from the surgery, Cunningham had developed a serious infection in his leg. The fear was if the infection got worse and into Cunningham's bloodstream, it would affect his heart. So on Christmas Eve 2016, Cunningham's lower left leg was amputated. You felt you had uh, you had lost. Well, I did because he's a hockey player, and I felt that um, I just ruined his career. It's heartbreaking. This was his whole life. His whole life was hockey. I mean, he, when he was two years old, he'd tell you, "I'm going to play in the NHL. I'm going to be a hockey player," and it ended just like that. If I wanted to live the rest of my life, you know, it was life or limb, really. It was kind of the, the decision that had to be made. And, you know, if you want to live your life, you know, hockey isn't everything. His playing career ended, but his passion remained. Four months after the surgery, weeks after being fitted for a prosthetic leg, Craig got back on the ice for the first time. His teammates were by his side, helping him. Feels alright, actually. It doesn't hurt my limb. It just the ankles. Yeah. Not you don't definitely. Have the no. Yeah. Go again. Mm -hmm. 
<laughs> it's been a bumpy road, but his spirits and his determination and it, it's it's fantastic. Like it's it's happy. It's it's a it's a happy sad. Like it's very sad that this has happened to him. But I'm so proud of his determination and, and especially a 26-year-old kid who could have very easily given up and be, been angry. He doesn't have an angry bone in his body. He is not mad at a darn thing. His heart can do anything now. He can push himself. He's put on weight. He looks pretty chiseled, but don't tell him I said that. I don't know what the future holds for me, but I think, you know, I'm, I feel as if I'm the same person that I was before. Um, you know, I kind of got a, got a new lease on life, you know, like kind of second chance. I think sometimes you're just born with that extra little fight in you, and, you know, got lucky that I was born with it. Since his collapse, Craig has relied mostly on what got him to the NHL. Work, will, and grit. He continues to work in hockey. The Arizona Coyotes hired Craig in late May as a pro scout. To subscribe to the SC Featured Podcast, go to the Listen tab of the ESPN app or download it on Apple Podcasts. This episode of SC Featured was produced by Christine Newby, edited by A.J. Irish and Nate Ayub. Gustavo Coletti is the senior managing producer. Until next time, thanks for listening. I'm Jen Latta.